So if you've ever seen the movie Finding Nemo, at the very end, we have this dentist who has finally has a clean fish tank, you know, after the fish have like worked together to make it all dirty. He has taken all the fish out and put each one of them in their individual bag so he can clean the tank. <clears throat> well, when he's done, he looks up and realizes that the fish aren't there. And he says, where are the fish? And you see these nice little water droplets between the fish tank and the open window. Okay, and so then the camera changes and it goes out to the ocean, which is right across the street. And you see all these bags with fish in them kind of plopping on the top of the water. And the final like starfish guy comes across and he's like, that is the shortest red light I've ever seen. And they're all beginning to celebrate that they have made it to the ocean. Okay, they are free. And so they're excited, except they kind of look around and realize we're in these bags. And the movie ends with one of the fish simply saying, well, now what? Like, we've made it here, but what are we supposed to do at this point? And so I typed in the words, now what? Knowing that's what our sermon series is starting today. And that came up, just this picture. Someone has made a meme out of that moment where it's just the pit fish and it says, now what? <clears throat> well, I also, when I was playing around with the internet, came to a website that you can add words to this meme, okay? And so you can make it say whatever you want. So I began just reading through what some other people said. They always left the now what at the bottom, but some Someone said this idea, when it's day three of summer and you realize you have nothing left to do, well, now what? <laughs> you know, I'm already bored. Or someone said me after I graduated high school. Now what? Someone said me five minutes after completing 100% in a game. Like you've spent all that time playing that video game and now what am I going to do? Someone said, when you tell someone to cry about it and they actually do, well, <laughs> oh, now what do I do? Now what? Someone said, when you ate all the popcorn, but the movie hasn't started, now what? And then someone said, when you and all your antisocial friends finally decide to hang out and you're together, now what do we do? Like, I just kind of laughed at just some of those things that they were saying. But this idea is that sometimes there are these events in life that we're able to work through and we get to them. And then it's like, now what do I do? Like, what is that next step? And so over the last two weeks, we talked about this topic of salvation, this idea of choosing Jesus. It is a huge deal. Like, it has eternal ramifications that I get to spend eternity with God. I get to spend eternity with him. But it isn't just futuristic. Like, right now, when I choose Jesus, he comes in and he changes my life. Like, how I deal with other people. I'm now living with integrity. The purpose in how I use my money or my stuff or my time, it changes. Or even this idea of who is running my life instead of me, it's him. Everything changes when I choose to follow him. But then we got to this question of now what? And so as a, as a staff, we were talking about where do we go with our sermon series? And one of the ideas is just this, what should we next do? What is the next step? This idea of now what? And so over the next five weeks, we're kind of looking at this idea of what is it that I'm supposed to do? Not next steps in the idea of what do I need to be saved? Because once you choose Jesus, once you have accepted his grace, you can be confident that the Holy Spirit is living in you and you are secure. Okay, you don't have to wonder, am I saved or not based off the things that I did today. God's spirit is in you. But this question, now what? Where do I head from here? How should I respond? Okay, so the answer to this question of now what today, the first one that we're looking at, the answer is worship. Okay, and you heard that at the beginning kind of during the announcements. We're talking about this idea of worship. And maybe you're even like, out of five things to do, you decide worship? Like, why? Why is that such a huge deal? 
Okay, well, as we go through the sermon, I want to ask three questions, okay? So the first question that we're looking at is, what is worship? Okay, because maybe we hear that word quite often, what is worship? If you were to look in the dictionary, there's quite a few definitions, but a lot of them come back to this same idea of it's a feeling or an expression of reverence or adoration. That's worship. If you type in worship into the thesaurus, you would come up with words like adoration or devotion or ritual or church service. Those are words that come up when people think about worship. In fact, the Greek word proskuneo, which is often translated worship, can mean revering or bowing down in humility, having respect or honor for someone. And three-fourths of the time that we read about that in Scripture, when that word is there, it is referencing God, that we are worshiping Him, we are respecting Him, we are honoring Him. And this idea of trying to figure out what is worship, here's a few quotes from people. Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life says, anything you do that brings pleasure to God is an act of worship. Ralph Martin says, worship is the dramatic celebration of God in his supreme worth in such a manner that his worthiness becomes the norm and the inspiration of human living. William Temple has a big definition. So he says, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. And I adore you. That's a good definition. It's also really big. So let me give you one more that's shorter again. Warren Wearsby says, worship is the believer's response of all that he is. Mind, emotions, will, body, to all that God is and says and does. And so maybe whenever you hear that word worship, your mind doesn't think quite on that big of a scale. Like maybe your mind immediately takes you to Sunday, worship it. Sunday, or maybe church, or even music, like that's where your mind goes. Maybe you even sit there and just go, you know what, worship's not really my thing. Like maybe you've thought that. And I hope that by the end of the sermon today, that you'll see that worship is more than what we sometimes cram into this little box. That's why this is what worship has to be. Realize that it is much bigger than that. So as we're talking though about this idea of what is worship for now, I want you to understand that worship as a Christian means feeling or showing reverence and praise towards God. Okay, so that's our first question. But then it leads us to our second question. If that's what worship is, why should we worship? Okay, like why out of five things is worship mentioned in this list? Imagine with me here for a moment or think back this idea that when you choose Jesus, you are saved. Like you experience the grace of God, this gift that he has offered to you. But then as a believer, you continue to live in this grace. You continue to live in the presence of God. And I mentioned that worship is something we do, and I use those words on purpose, but it's not just a matter of what do I do. It's a matter of who do I become? You see, when you are saved, your identity changes because you are called a child of God. And that means that you are chosen. You are freed you are loved, you are wanted, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are created by God for a purpose, 
You are secure. And as you grasp that, like that changes a person. And so I don't want you to realize when we're thinking about worship that, well, you know what, God, thank you for what you've done for me. And so now I'm going to prove that that was a good decision, that you saved me. So I'm going to live in this way. Like, that's not the reason we do it. Or it's not, okay, now I'm going to like worship harder than anybody else so that God will love me more than them. That's not the way it is either. Instead, right now, like whatever happened this week, right now, I am living in grace. I am in the presence of God. And because of that, I choose to worship him. I choose to adore him. I choose to praise him. There's about eight different verses we're going to look at throughout this sermon. And so this first one is in Romans chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You can also use the app and they're all listed there. But I know some of you like being able to look in your Bibles, your translations, mark things up there. But Romans chapter five, verses one and two is the first verse that we're looking at here. We're just talking about this idea. We are living in grace. And so what does this mean, especially in reference to worship? So Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Like I want you to hear, like, in that verse, you and I, we have been saved. And because of the grace that we have accepted through faith, which is what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, we have a peace and we have a hope. And because of that peace and hope that we have, because of the salvation that God has given us, we then want to let him know how thankful we are, how appreciative we are. And so we respond in worship. Louis Giglio, maybe you've heard that name. He helps start the Passion Conference. He's a pastor at Passion City Church, and he talks about worship quite often. A couple things that he said. He said, some of us attend the church on the corner, professing to worship the living God above all else. Others, who rarely darken the church doors, would say worship isn't part of their lives because they aren't religious. But everybody has an altar, and every altar has a throne. He also says this, that I think all music, not just Christian music, but all music is worship music because every song is amplifying the value of something. And there's a trail in our lives that leads to what we really worship, a trail of our time and our affections and our allegiance and our devotion and our money. And that trail ends up before a throne and whatever is on that throne is what we worship. I want you to understand that you and I, we are wired by God, the way he created us to be worshipers. But the problem is there's a lot of times that the gods that we worship are really bad gods. And I'm not talking about God on the throne, but the other things that we give our attention to. We're worshiping something. We are great at it. But the question is, do we worship the Lord, our God, with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength? Like, does our life reflect that of worshiping Christ. There's one pastor, as he's talking about worship, he said, we worship God because he created us to worship him, not because of what we may receive from it or because it makes us feel good. God created us to worship him. In fact, that will be our eternal job in heaven. So not to get too simplistic, but this answer to why is it that we should worship God is one, because we were created to do so, but two, because he deserves it. He is worthy of our worship. 
That brings me to the third question, the one that I want to look at the most. If we're looking at what is worship and why should we worship, this third question is, but how do we worship? Okay, how do we worship? And even within there, we're going to look at three different keys. The first off, in understanding about um, worship, you need to know that it is a response. Okay, worship is a response. And again, I told you that a lot of times, what comes to our mind when we hear the word worship is singing. And there are multiple verses in scripture that we are told to sing to the Lord. And so many of you, you choose to do that when we participate together as a congregation during our worship services. You sing and you are offering up worship to God during that time. There's also some of you that realize, you know what, when I'm by myself, I can worship God through singing. Like the radio's on in the car and it doesn't matter. I'm just belting it out. Or some of you in the shower, that's where I'm singing. Some of you one-on-one time with God. You are alone. It doesn't matter if anyone else is around, but you are lifting up the name of God through song. You are choosing to worship. That is a response because of who he is. Sometimes it doesn't have to do with singing, but there's other things such as praising or thanking. And sometimes that can be added to singing. But Abby gave us a devotion in our staff meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, because we all take turns kind of devoting each other in staff meeting. And I'd heard that she did it um, when she was at the women's retreat as well, but kind of gave us these seven words in Hebrew that are used for this idea of praise. Okay. And so here are some different words. Okay. When we just see praise in English, that maybe it is. And so one of them is yada, which means Worship with my hands extended. Okay, there's a word for that. There's tehillah, which means to sing spontaneously. I am praising God in that. Barak means to kneel. Halal means to dance or get foolish as David did as he's coming back with the Ark of the Covenant. There's this idea of toda, which I am thanking God. And not just thanking him, but I'm even thanking him for some things that maybe have not yet happened. But I know that it is in his hands. Zamar is this idea of singing with instruments, or shabak means to shout. And so even as we look at this idea of worship through singing, through praising, there are different postures. There are different avenues that we can give worship to God, even mentioned in Scripture. But as I told you earlier... Worship is not just singing. In fact, oftentimes, whenever I'll refer to the singing portion of our worship service, I'll say, we're now going to have our worship through song. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but everything we do from start to finish is worship. Like everything is part of our service is worship to him. And so I want you to listen to a couple more verses that show a reverence that can be involved in worship that isn't necessarily tied in to singing. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. So right at the beginning of the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 2. And in this section, we have the Magi. They are coming to look for this new king that has been born. All right, so they know about him. And so that's what they're doing. They're coming to look. And so in chapter 2, verse 2 is where we're going to start. So these Magi, it says, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, now, is there a chance that they like broke out in a choir? Sure, there is. But is that the likelihood? No. Like they came to give reverence to this new king, to the one that they want to worship, that they want to adore, that they want to lift up. So that is part of worship. Now, I also want you to turn back to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. All right, some of you are like, Nehemiah, I don't turn there very often. Well, it's a good time to then. Nehemiah chapter 8. This 
So we have all these Jewish people coming together at this moment, all right? And they are listening to their leadership. And this man named Ezra is opening up the book of the law. That means the first five books of the Bible. And he's going to read this to them, okay? And some of you are automatically thankful now that our sermons are between 25 and 30 minutes. We're not going to read the entire five books of the, the law. But Ezra is about ready to do this. And so in chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, here's what we see. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Okay, again, that use of worship. I doubt they're sitting there singing. Instead, they're paying homage to the one who is over them. In fact, it sounds a lot like in Revelation chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but we have these four creatures. And they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when they finish that, these 24 elders, they fall down before the Lord. They lay their crowns before him. And they say, you are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and they have their being. And then in Revelation 5, we see thousands of angels saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then every creature on heaven and on earth says, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders again, they fall down and they worship. Here's what I want you to hear. When we're talking about this, how do I worship? Understanding, simply responding to God is worship. And that can include singing. It can include praising. It can include a change in body posture. But it is a response because I am in the presence of the Lord. Now, as we're talking about this idea of it's a response, you also need to understand this about the response. It needs to be a true response. If I am worshiping God, it needs to be a true response. There's a couple more verses I want to look at from the Old Testament. We're going to turn back to Isaiah chapter uh, 29, okay? Isaiah chapter 29. We're going to read verse 13. And it says this, the Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. So far, that sounds really great. But the end of that verse says, but their hearts are far from me. And we're reading this and God is saying, you are coming near me with, with your lips, you know, with your life, you're here, except your heart. And you're not really about following after me. Now what I want you to do is turn to the book of Amos. Okay, it's about seven books later. The book of Amos, chapter 5. It's page 976 in my Bible, but that doesn't help you. (laughs) Amos, chapter 5, verses 21 through 23. So here's what God says. I hate 
I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Here's what I want you to understand, that sacrifices and even worship services, they don't mean much if people are just going through the motions, but they're not really bringing praise to God. God knows what is going on in your heart, and He desires a true response, a real thankfulness, a real repentance. You know, not just that sorry that your parents used to say, hey, you need to apologize to your brother and sister, and you're like, sorry, okay, and you really didn't mean it, okay? Like, God doesn't want that. It's not just as we're singing, trying to hit the prettiest of notes, but not thinking about the the meaning behind it. It's not even giving this huge sacrificial gift to the Lord, but the motivation is more about a tax break than giving to God. Now hear me, tax breaks aren't bad, but if that's my motivation, instead of giving to God, do you think God's like, man, I'm really thankful for that? In fact, we're talking about this idea of true response, like some of Jesus' harshest words were towards the religious leaders because their worship was not true response. They were concerned more about how other people saw them. And so I'm going to pray with really big words. I'm going to pray with a lot of words. I'm going to pray in spots where everyone sees me. When I give, I'm going to make sure that they know that I'm giving. When I'm fasting, I'm going to make sure they know that so they understand, man, that is a spiritual person. And they cared more about that. But a true response is what God desires from us in worship. Now, let me tell you this real quick. Because that doesn't always mean that you're going to feel energized when you sing. Okay, I think that's a false narrative. Like, yes, God comes in when we worship and there's a connection there. But you may not just feel this energy coming or when you praise. But as you give God honestly what you have in the moment, he will continue to be with you as you worship. Both when that's part of services that we come together and when you're alone and you offer yourself to God. The final point that I want you to hear when it comes to how do we worship is this, that worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a way of life. It is loving God more and more every day, and we get to live in that love. And I wonder, then why do we so often equate it with singing? And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with that's a time that there are a lot of people who come in contact with God. Like with our lives so busy, sometimes we don't stop to connect with him outside of this moment. And so then in worship, we block out other distractions, or at least we have the opportunity to do so. And in those moments, we connect with him. And so we respond or we reflect on the great love that he has given to us. And I think that's why our mind automatically goes there. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 15. So we just have two more verses to look at. We're going to look at verse 22. The context of this verse is that Saul is leading his people. They're about to go into battle, all right, his army. And Samuel says, go up here and I will come and I will make a sacrifice. Well, Saul is kind of waiting around and day after day is going by and he can tell his his people and his army are starting to kind of worry about this. And so he decides I'm going to take charge and he makes the sacrifice instead, which is disobedient to what God had told him to do through Samuel. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, here's what we have. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? 
To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. You see, worship is so much more than singing and offering gifts while we're just going through the motions because God desires obedience. When you serve others, you are worshiping. When you read the Bible, you are worshiping. When you pray or you sit silently in God's creation and think about him, you are worshiping. When you are actively listening to sermons and lessons, you are worshiping. When you share with others in small groups, you are worshiping. When you say things to encourage someone else, you are worshiping. When you choose to avoid evil in your life, you are worshiping. When you obey God and parents and teachers and employers and coaches and other leaders, you are worshiping. Because worship is my response or it is my reflection of coming in contact with God. And one preacher said this, if your life is not consistent with Sunday morning, then you're not worshiping. Even if you're here at church, you see the worship service starts in the parking lot with the directing of your heart towards God, not just when the music starts. There's a lot of times when I'm talking about this topic of salvation with people, and we've talked about grace and belief and repentance and confession and baptism, that there's a verse then I go to because salvation is not the ending point. Like God still wants to do so much in us. And so this last verse that I want you to look at is go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I imagine you've heard this. Some of you may even have it memorized right along with verse 2. But we're just going to look at verse 1 here. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> and so Paul writes these words. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, because of the mercy that you have received from God, we should live your life for him. Like when this verse talks about this sacrifice, realize the animals in the Old Testament, when they became the sacrifice, they gave their entire life, whether they wanted to or not. That was the sacrifice. And so for us, Paul says we are to give all of ourselves to him because of this salvation. So a lifestyle that follows after God, that is worship. So can you worship in church? Yes. Should that be displayed outside the church building? Absolutely. I hope though that even hearing this, like you actually get to feel a peace that comes from this, that I don't worship because I'm trying to get closer to God. I get to worship because I am already in the presence of God. There was a sermon that I read about worship and it kind of said, this is what sermon is or isn't. And so it said, worship is not about just what we know. It's not our idea. It's not a spectator event. It's not merely physical. It's not just singing. It's not just done in church and it's not insincere. But then he contrasts that and said, worship is about who we know. It's God's idea. It is a participation event. It is spiritual. It is a lifestyle. It is done everywhere. And it is sincere. And that sounds like a lot of the scripture that pointed us as we looked this morning. So I don't know what the response is to this sermon for you. Like for some of you, it might be intellectual. It's just like, wow, I never realized that worship is more than singing. And so you kind of get a grasp of that this morning. For some of you, even just looking at some of those different Hebrew words, you're like maybe God is wanting me to try a different posture to worship him. And not that that's my natural thing, but God, you want to take me out of my comfort zone as I simply lift up your name. For some of you, maybe as we're talking about a true response, you're like, I kind of just going through the motions. Like no one else would necessarily know that, but that's where I've been. Maybe if you're looking at your lifestyle, you're like, whew, 
Worshiping God is not on the top priority of my list. I'm actually worshiping quite a few other things. And God, you want all of my heart. And for some of you, maybe you're just energized hearing this, and you are ready to continue worshiping God with all that you are. There's a video that I used to show in youth group when we studied this topic of worship, and it was just music in the background, and then words would pop up. And here's what it said. Worship is a huge thing. We look forward to worship every week. When the music includes one of our favorites, we say the worship was great. When the music stinks, we yawn and we wonder why the worship wasn't good. We leave churches because of worship style. Have you ever wondered if we're more concerned with what worship does for us and less concerned with the object of our worship? It seems like it's more about what we get, not what we give. And it would be like taking a gift to a birthday party, but then keeping it for ourselves. Worship is all about giving our lives again to God. Worship is not about the feelings that we receive when we sing or convincing God to bless us or even about whether the guitar is too loud or what's happening on stage or the entertainments or the lights or the sound. Worship is not about us at all. It is not about us. It's about him. We enter through the gateway of the cross. At the cross, we surrender love and cry and we dream and we give up and we shut up and we kneel and we confess. We look at God and we place him above all else because he is worth it. Life gets crazy and painful. No one can deny that. School, relationships, family, death, addictions, loneliness. And no one is asking you to pretend that those things aren't affecting you. Like, don't pretend. You're just being invited to bring that stuff to the cross and simply gaze at Jesus. And as you look at him, allow your response to be worship. So we're gonna finish the service simply by singing one more song. And it's all about giving God what we have. It's just us responding with real worship. And so our prayer room is open. And if part of you is like, man, or not even part, if all of you is like, I want to be in the presence of Jesus, I want to accept that grace, and I would encourage you to head to the prayer room. If there's things in your life that you're like, I want someone to pray for me, I would encourage you to go back there as well. But what we're going to do is we are going to worship our God through this song, and then this week as we live, we're going to continue to worship Him in everything we do. Will you guys stand? Mm -hmm.